We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Wallace, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, well, the Champions League roundup, lobbying, the Open Cup, Tuchel, Klopp, Dos Acero, great rivalries, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, and my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on, on this? What do we like? We got Thursday, September 8th. This is obviously our second show of the week, and there's all sorts of stuff to talk about. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, doing well, and good to see you face-to-face. Welcome back to Los Angeles. Thank you. As we mentioned uh, in the uh, pod earlier this week, I was off to our nation's capital over there in Washington, D.C. to uh, for a couple of reasons. One was uh, to do some lobbying. And uh, two was also to catch the U.S. women's game, the second game in that series against Nigeria. And not just a, another win for the U.S., but after the U.S. women's national team uh, had a ceremony on the field where they signed this new CBA that was obviously the talk for the last couple of years and the source of uh, all sorts of um, drama, off-field drama. And so finally it has come to fruition and everybody's kumbaya and getting together. And we hope that, uh, well, first off, congratulations on signing that, which provides equity uh, relative to the men's team and uh, onward and upward. We hope that uh, hope that it sticks, hope that everybody honors uh, and respects the, the contracts that have been signed and uh, that we can concentrate on the uh, soccer on the field. The lobbying part of it was really, really interesting. I uh, made my way around uh, D.C. and at the game because there was a lot of politicos uh, at the uh, at the actual U.S. women's national team game, not just to see the team, but obviously for this historic occasion. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but the Fox Corporation, we have an entire team dedicated to uh, government relations. You know, like any big company, you, you want people that are there fighting for the things that uh, you want for your company in order to make your job and your business uh, better. And so it was great to meet uh, that team out there in D.C. and go around and talk to you know, some different uh, senators and some different uh, representatives uh, for our country. So it was cool. Nice. I have still never been to D.C., which what? is crazy. You've never been to the actual city? No. I, I go, I've, I've been a lot, and every single time I go, I am 
it, it's, it fills me with pride. It fills me with awe. I, you know, you can walk around. It's a very walkable city. Obviously, I know you're a museum guy. I mean, you could spend weeks there and still not see everything. And every block that you go to, there's either a museum or something important when it comes to the government. And it's just, it's just all out there. Uh, you know, I, I walked past, for example, the National Archives, which have been in the news lately, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I always walk down to the mall. I always walk to the uh, Washington Monument and the White House and, and, and the Capitol uh, and get pictures and, and do all that because it, uh, it drives home what I feel is, you know, not a perfect nation, uh, but certainly as far as I'm concerned, the greatest nation in the world. And that is the seat of the government and so much history when it comes to our country, even though relative to the rest of the world, it's very young there is still wonderful history and uh, it's it's on display, like I said, every block uh, that you are in uh, DC. So that was fun. Uh, anything else? We got we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, here. Just I, I am ready to light this game. I know you are, I know you are. All right, uh, where do you want to start here? I think we should start at Champions League because we're, we're back, baby, when it comes to Champions League. The UEFA Champions League group stage got underway this week. Uh, we can go in chronological order. Okay. Early games Tuesday, Dinamo Zagreb one, Chelsea nil. Christian Pulisic did not start, came on in the 75th minute. And, you know, I was following Twitter during this game, and I came to the conclusion that U.S. fans had given up on the Pulisic situation turning around under Tuchel, and at this point, we're just hoping that Tuchel would get the sack. That was going to be my big take today. Or that Christian and, went so Oh, well, if you're a Chelsea fan, you don't want Christian to leave, but, you know. And lo and behold, I woke up Wednesday morning to the news that Tuchel had, in fact, been sacked by American owner Todd Bowley, and now we find out today that he's being replaced by Graham Potter, previously the Brighton coach. Uh, so American fans are in celebration mode over this Tuchel sacking. What was your reaction? Um, I, I, I'm surprised, to be quite honest with you. Um, not because things have been going well. As a matter of fact, they have not been going well. And then to add insult to injury, to start off your Champions League campaign with a result like this, more importantly, against the competition, um, which with all due respect, that should not happen given the talent that you have even with the problems that you have and the flaws that you have and obviously the money that you've been spent and the expectations that you have. So I was a little surprised that it happened. And by all accounts, he was involved in, you know, the moves and the decision-making process, obviously over the last few months that has created this team that he, well, that he had now. So yeah, I know. Were you, were you surprised? Uh, the timing shocked me seven games into the season. However, I did think things were trending in this direction. This might happen later on in this campaign. Uh, the tangible for me was his inability to get the best out of attacking players. The intangible was this grumpy vibe he was giving off, almost like the worst of Jose Mourinho. Um, so I, I didn't think he would finish the season, but like I said, I didn't think it would happen seven games into the season. It's a big call by Todd Bowley, who took over this summer, got rid of all the prominent uh, front office people like Petr Cech and Marina Granovskaya um, and basically became the de facto sporting director, which led to a transfer window that was a bit all over the place. But in the end, Chelsea fans seemed happy with. They spent a lot of money. They brought in some good players. And now he gets rid of a coach who I know U.S. fans don't want to hear this because they view Tuchel entirely through the prism of Christian Pulisic, but overall is a respected coach with a good resume who 16 months ago won a Champions League title with this club. So it is a big call by Todd Bowley. He is now running the show. It's, it's all well, is it that big. I mean, when you come in, like anybody you come in, you want your guys in, right? So I don't think it's that big a call. And I think he looked at the situation and I think in his eyes, even though it might be a surprise to us, the timing of it, it, it is certainly well within, not, not that he has to, uh, uh, rights has have nothing to do with it. He owns the team. He can do whatever the hell he wants. But I think it's not out of the realm of possibility 
um, or to be able to justify this move at, at this time. And now he gets to handpick who he wants. It's going to be his guy, which he did. And we'll see how, see how it goes. More importantly, does it change the fortunes of Chelsea? And like you said, it's always viewed through the prism of, of Christian Pulisic. Does this change Christian Pulisic's fortunes? Well, first off, it's very on brand for Chelsea. Uh, certainly, this sure. is how Roman Abramovich operated yep. for 20 years. We thought maybe Todd Bowley coming in, is that going to change the dynamic of this club? But we're finding out, no, that Chelsea have sort of retained the same ruthless uh, identity when it comes to coaches, even under a different owner. And yeah, Graham Potter is also a really fascinating appointment. I know there's a type of pundit in England that's thrilled because they feel like these English coaches who get these lesser clubs to punch above their weight never get a chance with these bigger clubs. It always has to be some flashy foreigner. And so they're happy to but see can, a guy I like... I can respect that. I mean, that's right. what we do here too when it comes to right. American players and coaches and all that. So we'll see. I, I certainly think Graham Potter's a good coach, but it's a very different type of job managing Brighton exactly. and you get plaudits for finishing mid-table versus Chelsea. I mean, to overall trophies. his career, he has less than a 50% uh, win percentage, right? Uh, even with Brighton, if I looked it up, I think it was in the 30s or whatever. And to your point, I think the 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 assessment on that is where you're punching above your weight. And so now, you know, you've been a really good race car driver in a crappy car. Now we're going to give you a really good car and we're going to extrapolate it out and said, you were so good with poor equipment. Now we're going to give you really, really good equipment and see what you can do. We also know that it doesn't always work out that way. And the dynamic within a major big club, which is really what Chelsea is. I mean, Chelsea, this move for me is what big super clubs do. All right. It's not about sentimentality. It's about can you get the job done? And to your point, Champions League, that is a long time ago. Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? And that's what they did here. That, that ruthlessness is what makes you a super club. Okay. It doesn't mean you can't have passion and it doesn't mean you can't have emotion. But this was done out of a recognition that this is not living up to what Chelsea's standards are right now, regardless of what you did 18 months ago. And to be honest, I have no sense on what the Graham Potter appointment means for Christian Pulisic. You know, we, we at Fox, we were covering the Bundesliga when Pulisic first came up with Dortmund, ironically enough, under Thomas Tuchel. And then after that, it was Peter Bosch, then Stoger, then Lucien Favre, Frank Lampard, Thomas Tuchel again. And he had moments under each of those guys, but never, there was never one that I felt like, oh, that's the perfect manager for him. I think we're still trying to figure that out in Europe, who the ideal manager is for Christian. We'll go, we'll go on because we don't want to spend too much time on this. But if you had to pinpoint the pinnacle of Christian Pulisic's club career so far, I know it's relatively young, but what where would you put it at? It was in that restart uh, after the COVID uh, shut down. He had a stretch under Frank Lampard where he was legitimately one of the best players in the world for a few weeks there. So it was done in the <laughs> without fans in the pandemic when there was nobody around in the antiseptic type of environment, right? Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, at the same time that the Chelsea game was going on, Dortmund beat uh, Copenhagen 3 0. Some great news here for U.S. fans. Uh, Giorena, first of all, was named on the bench, which that's been half the battle this season because they've been treating him with such kid gloves. But you figure, okay, maybe he'll come on as a second-half sub, play a few minutes, and then Thorgan Hazard limps off early with an injury. And I was shocked they brought Gio on in the 20th minute because, again, they've been so cautious with right, him. Right, it wasn't part of the plan, obviously. Right, and he ends up playing really well. Two assists, one to Guerrero in the first half, uh, one to Bellingham in the second half. And so Gio is back. That is good news for U.S. fans. And this is why I always say that a national team is not a meritocracy, okay? But this is a perfect example of why you, me, so many others 
give a pass to Gio Reyna, even though he's fragile, even though he hasn't played. Uh, we had glimpses of magic and beauty. And again, this is a reminder that if the stars align and the soccer gods smile upon us and Gio Reyna, Gio Reyna is healthy, even for a 20-minute space, he can do great things, which is why he's going to have a seat on that plane to Qatar. Does he deserve it? Not relative to others that are healthy, that are playing, that are, that, you know, that are doing it, but that's how talented this young man is. Later games on Tuesday, PSG beat Juventus 2-1. I have some non-McKinney thoughts, but I'll okay. do Weston first. Uh, right. He didn't start. Uh, PSG were up 2-0 at halftime. They brought McKinney on for the start of the second half, and he scores a nice header. Uh, PSG ended up holding on 2-1, as I said. But uh, I still don't think McKinney's in great form right now, but he showed what an incredible threat he is on set pieces. He did. And we, we, know, we, we know his aerial ability. He's, he has a magnet, and I think he salivates. And as someone who salivated over corner kicks and free kicks uh, and the ability to go up and use that aerial presence, that, that bodes well because I think set pieces are going to be important for the national team. And he's continuing to show that he is a value. I completely agree with you in that he's not even close to 100%. We know he's suffered two injuries over the last six months, right? That, uh, that foot injury uh, and then, uh, you know, the shoulder dislocation. And he's kind of played through and come back early from a lot of them. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he still has time before Qatar. But I just think from a pure physical perspective, you know, he does not look as mobile and as fit as I think he needs to be. And some of it's to be expected. Like I said, he's just kind of come in and out. But if even in that moment, if you can come in and still make an impact and score goals and be uh, productive, that says a lot. Uh, Mbappe scored two great goals in the first half. Oh, one man. set up by Neymar with this lovely scoop pass. The other set up by Hakimi. But early in the second half, I have to admit, Ray Hudson drove me crazy with this. I know we're all excited to have him back on these games. But um, there was a play where Nuno... Mendez broke down the left and squared it across for Neymar in the box. And the correct play was to shoot, which he did. The goalkeeper saved it. Mbappe was also in the box, but there was no pass to be made. And then a couple of minutes later, PSG had a breakaway. And all Mbappe had to do was roll it across and Neymar for a tap-in. And he inexplicably went for it himself and shot wide. And Ray kept trying to lump those two plays together and saying both Neymar and Mbappe were selfish early in the second half. The Neymar play wasn't even worth mentioning. The Mbappe play was. And it was a big inflection point in this match because it would have been 3-0, game over. And instead, it stayed 2-0. McKenney scored shortly thereafter. And PSG ended up having to hold on for dear life at the end. So to his credit, Thierry Henry, when they went back to the studio after the game, he ripped Mbappe for it. Others have as well. And it's an indication that all is still not right there with PSG chemistry-wise, that Mbappe in that moment was more worried about getting his hat trick than making the correct play. So, was... so what I hear you saying is Brazil guy good, France guy bad. Correct. Right? Okay. But, <laughs> but what, how about the goals were pretty astounding. Yeah, and I don't want to bury the lead. He scored two fantastic goals, uh, became the youngest player to reach 35 career Champions League goals, uh, uh, breaking a record set by Lionel Messi. And at the same time that that was going on, Erlen Holland scored twice for City in their 4-0 away win over Sevilla, becoming the youngest player to reach 25 Champions League yeah. goals, surpassing a record that Mbappe had set. And so this was another occasion for everybody to talk up these two guys and how they're going to be sort of the next generation here. I actually, I mean, the scoop goal was was fine, but I actually like the other one uh, better because it, it's like there's an off timing thing that you, to still get it off and still hit it in the way that he did was, was very, very, well, it was beautiful. 
Now, let me ask you this. And as a Brazilian, I'll recuse myself from this conversation. <laughs> okay. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Um, at the same time that Mbappe was doing what he did and Holland was doing what he did, uh, Real Madrid won 3-0 away to Celtic. And Vinicius had a terrific game and scored a goal, his fourth straight game with a goal. The Madrid media is going to great lengths to frame it now as a big three when we talk up the players that are going to sort of dominate this next generation. Do you think Vinicius belongs in the same conversation as Mbappe and Holland? No, no chance. No, I, I think he, he can become that. I mean, it's almost, and I don't know if it's just because he's Brazilian here, but you know how Neymar never quite got to that upper echelon playing in the time of Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo? It's, he might... Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he will never have the chance. Maybe he will always be that bridesmaid to what's happening uh, above him, I guess. I could be. see that, playing third fiddle yes. to a big two. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in that Celtic-Real Madrid game, uh, Carter Vickers started, uh, played pretty well despite the, the result. Benzema uh, limped off in the first half uh, with an injury. Looks like he's going to be out about a month, so Real Madrid are going to have to learn to survive without him. Hazard came in to play as a false nine. And got a goal and an assist. It was kind of a turn back, back the clock performance for him. So uh, it was interesting to see uh, Carter Vickers go up against Real Madrid, but, uh, but also have to play. I'm sure he prepared to face Benzema. And then for most right. of the game, he was facing Hazard instead. But you said he's, uh, Benzema's only going to be out for a month or so. Yes. I mean, it's not... Okay. Nothing World no Cup. World Cup uh, threatening. Okay. Serginho Dest made his debut for AC Milan. Came on in the second half of their 1-1 draw away to Salzburg. Uh, and according to Paul Carr, the first American ever to play for... In the Champions League for three different teams, I think. So I believe that was a tweet. And if Paul Carr said it, we know it's true. Well, yeah. um, one last uh, result I want to highlight from Tuesday, which is a wonderful story. Shakhtar, 4-1 winners away to Leipzig. Oh, really? Um, you know, when the, when the war started there and the Ukrainian League shut down, FIFA determined that any foreign players in Ukraine, their contracts were suspended and they were free to go wherever they wanted. And all those Brazilians at Shakhtar fled. I think it was 13 in all. A bunch of them came back to Brazil. A few others signed with different European clubs. And I was wondering, how in the heck are Shakhtar going to even field a team for this Champions League? And they go out and get a result like this. My dad was joking with me afterwards. He said, maybe they've been getting it wrong all these years with the Brazilian thing. Right? They should have built around Ukrainians. The Brazilians <laughs> have been holding them back. Um, but uh, the fallout at Leipzig is Domenico Tedesco was sacked. And mind you, Americans were happy about that too because last season he kind of soured right. on Tyler Adams. So the, the takeaway here is if you don't play Americans, you get... Exactly, Mossy. Exactly. We move on to Wednesday. Uh, although <laughs> uh, a couple of Americans who had another day to forget, remember, uh, Rangers coming off a 4-0 defeat to Celtic in the old firm, and then they lose 4-0 again, this time to Ajax. Uh, James Sands at fault on Rough a couple week. of the Rough goals. Week. Malik Tillman didn't play all that well either. Uh, so uh, not great for those two right now. And, I mean, it's also... Uh, yeah, it, like they need another feather, but the IX system and the IX culture that they have to be able to constantly uh, replenish. And it's not not missing a beat. You know, they have ups and downs, but relative to others, especially for, for who they are, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, it's just amazing. Not that, you know, that the Rangers is is a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still fun to see IX continuing to do what they do with less than a lot of others. Uh, the result on Wednesday that got everybody's attention was Napoli thumping Liverpool 4-1. Um, Zelinski with two goals. You know, Napoli have this young Georgian playmaker who's one of the rising stars in European football right now. It's pronounced Vada Skelia, and they're calling him Vada Dona. 
Ooh, it's a lot <laughs> uh, of pressure. And he is fun to watch. Uh, great performance by Napoli, but another game that raised some real alarm bells about Liverpool this season. I mean, okay, so first off, you start off with the Milner handball, and like, like what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, there's one where it's just you throw your hands up, or you, or you literally throw your hands up, or do something, and it just happens. This one, it's avoidable, and the problem is it sets the tone for the rest of the game. And while this ended 4-1, to one, I mean, I swear to God, Napoli could have had seven goals in the way that they were playing through, and maybe more importantly, the way they were playing over this uh, this Liverpool uh, team. Wonderful moment uh, when uh, Giovanni uh, Simeone scored his goal. I know we want to talk about that, but let's first focus on Liverpool. Uh, our good friend uh, Zach Kenway, even before this this game, I talked to him, and he was already eoring. Uh, he <laughs> doom and gloom. We got problems and. He seems to be right, and it, it can't all be Sadio Mane, okay? But, you know, I mean, he did things sometimes that maybe we didn't appreciate or value at the time, and I really think it comes down to this Liverpool team is not dominant in any facet on the field, right? Goalkeeping uh, has not been great, and you need someone that's, and it's not that he can't be great, but you need someone that's going to keep you in the game. Defensively, where they used to, used to stomp on people, and obviously having the greatest defender in, in the world, that helped, but you're not being dominant in the way that you were. Completely lost the midfield. And then up top, they're still trying to figure it out, like we said with uh, Sadeo Mani. And that, for Klopp, is a, is a problem. Was it a foreseeable problem? You know, again, are we blaming Americans? Because they didn't buy. And I mean, usually that's what happens. And that's what everyone's going to scream and yell about. Oh, we didn't. We didn't buy enough players and we didn't upgrade and we didn't see around the corner and all that, which may be valid criticisms out there. But not too long ago, we were looking at this as the greatest team in the world. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how that narrative got flipped because Liverpool fans take great pride in the fact that they don't throw money around willy-nilly like the other super clubs. <laughs> They're very smart and surgical about everything they do. And and then all of a sudden now it's like, it why, just... why, why weren't you out there spending crazy money like right. United and Chelsea were? <laughs> you know, <it's> a, <laughs> Mike, they did buy Darwin Nunez for with bonuses, almost 100 million euros. But um, yeah, they in the midfield, uh, fans feel like perhaps they could have been more aggressive there. They're, they're keeping their powder dry for Jude Bellingham, who they think they're going to sign next summer. So they didn't want to make a big move for a midfielder this summer. But got uh, it. it's uh, got it. Yeah. Uh, Tottenham beat Marseille. Oh, wait, Simeone. That, that, was, that was a cool moment. Uh, oh, yeah, see, absolutely. Uh, Giovanni uh, Simeone score a goal, obviously, given his lineage and uh, on the same day that <laughs> his father also. We'll uh, talk about his father in a second, but uh, uh, Tottenham 2 0 over Marseille. Richarlison with both goals. Uh, you know, he's. He's played pretty well so far this season. He was excellent against Fulham at the weekend, had a goal chalked off by VAR. The only thing that was missing was a goal to kind of punctuate his good start to the season. I got a very excited email from our good friend Jason Wormser, Tottenham super fan, gushing about him. So I know he's a polarizing player and he's done some nutty things already this season, the juggling against Nottingham Forest. Why is he so emotional? Like, why, why is it so... Yeah, I, mean, I know it's a step up going to Spurs. I get that. But it, it's, it, it's, it's strange that he's taking this so... Personally, at, at a certain point, it's kind of endearing, but it seems not. It was over the top. Right. Yeah, his, I know his parents were at the <laughs> no, game okay, and but... he went over to hug them and, and it made him think about his journey and where he came from and growing up poor. And here he is scoring goals in a Champions League game, et cetera. But, he but grow, it, you know, thinking I want to play for Spurs like this isn't his childhood team or anything like that. But... And, and I mean, he celebrates every goal as if it's the game winning goal in the World Cup final. You do. He's have got to, some power uh, with those headers. By yeah, the way. He, yeah. he generates some really good power. 
Um, but the yeah, back so, foot and all that. So he gets a double in his first yeah. Champions right. League game. Right. Um, Barcelona 5-1 winners over Victoria Pilsen. Uh, Robert Lewandowski with a hat trick. He's got eight goals in five games this season, all competition. He's up to 89 Champions League goals. That's third all time behind only Ronaldo and Messi. And he becomes the first player in Champions League history to get hat tricks with three different clubs, Dortmund, Bayern, and Barcelona. Remember, he famously scored four goals in a semifinal win over Real Madrid back in 2013, a game we covered. Um, you know, I've been thinking about him the last couple of days. Do we almost underrate him and not I think we do. <laughs> realize I just think. how incredible of a striker we've it's, been able to watch all these years? Yeah, and and obviously with uh, Erlen Holland taking up a lot of the the uh, the coverage and the attention, and it's not as if he's just done it under under the radar, but he has not missed a beat. And I know he's going to Barcelona, so you're going to get your your opportunities, especially against some of this competition here. But when everybody is looking at you and expecting you to score. And then you continue to do so, and you continue to do it in bunches. I mean, that's what you're paying for, and that's what makes him one of the great goal scorers in history. Let's be honest. Uh, his former club, Bayern, uh, two nil winners away to Inter. Leroy Sané scored one and induced an own goal for the other, um, and that sets up uh, next week quite the showdown. Match day two: Bayern hosting Barcelona. Lewandowski going back to Ooh, Munich. Uh, that's, so that's going to be Sané was really good, man. The, the, yeah. the, the combinations that they were playing out there, and um, Kimmich was shooting from everywhere, and it's going to be fun next week because remember. We took Lewandowski off of Bayern in that classic traditional number nine position. And Sadio Mane has come in and talk about not missing a beat. They've just completely adjusted. And I think it makes him much more unpredictable. Um, and I think, therefore, it makes him much, I'm talking about Bayern Munich, much more dangerous. But I mean, this theater of coming back is awesome. Uh, last game I want to mention Atletico Madrid beat Porto 2 to 1. Antoine Griezmann scored uh, 90 plus 11. <laughs> Um, and there is an absolutely comical situation going on with Griezmann uh, this season. He is on loan from Barcelona, and Barcelona included a clause in that deal that if he played 30 minutes or more in 80% of their games this season, Atletico would be obligated to buy him permanently, which they don't want to do. Right. And so Simeone is under strict orders to prevent that from happening. So he brings He's him on every game in like the 61st or 62nd <laughs> minute. So it's just under that 30 minute right. threshold. So when this game had all this stoppage time and he ended up scoring 11 minutes in stoppage time, a lot of Barcelona fans saw, okay, that counts, right? right. That counts. But no, 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 it's spelled out in the contract, 30 minutes, not including injury time. So... So it still didn't. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, so that's uh, match day one of the Champions League. Great to have it back in our lives. South American equivalent of the Champions League. Uh, we've, we have our final. And for the third straight year, it'll be an all-Brazilian affair, which, taking my Brazil hat off, I can recognize is not good. Uh, Brazilian clubs have a massive financial advantage right now over the rest of the continent, and they're making it count, but it's not great for the competition, this degree of dominance by Brazilian clubs. So this time around, it'll be Flamengo against Atlético Paranaense, October 29 in Guayaquil, Ecuador. A city oh, that, uh, I know it well. I know it well. Um, uh, Atlético Paranaense eliminated two-time defending champions Palmeiras in the semis. Uh, they had won the first leg 1-0, and then Second leg finished 2-2, so they took it 3-2 on aggregate. Flamengo, last night at the Maracana, finished off uh, Argentina inside Vélez Sarsfield. They had won the first leg 4-0 in Buenos Aires, so this was done and dusted, and then they won 2-1 at the Maracana. So 6-1 aggregate triumph. A few quick notes here. 
Uh, Flamengo have a striker, Pedro, who is the top scorer in the Libertadores with 12 goals, who I think is definitely going to be on Brazil's World Cup squad. So I know you've been doing your World Cup oh, prep. Okay, yep. You need to start learning about him. In fact, I tweeted this last night. At the rate he's going, he might be How starting games in he? Qatar. He is 25. Oh, okay. It's an interesting story. He burst on the scene with Fluminense and in August of 2018 was considered the hottest property in Brazilian football. They had a deal verbally agreed for him to go to Real Madrid. And he was called up by Chichi in the first post-World Cup squad for a friendly against the United States at Giant Stadium that you covered that yep. Brazil ended up winning 2-0. Uh, he picked up a serious knee injury playing for Fluminense, was out seven months. That blew up the Real Madrid deal. Uh, obviously, he didn't get to play for the national team. When he came back, he wasn't the same. Spent a couple of years in the wilderness there. Uh, had a weird four-month spell at Fiorentina where he barely got on the field. Came back to Brazil with Flamengo where he was a backup to Gabi Gol. And uh, it's just in the last few months that Flamengo's coach, Dorival Jr., has decided to start two up top, Gabi Gol and Pedro. And he's flourished. And it, it's, it's an amazing story because Gabi Gol was the biggest star in Brazilian domestic football for about 90% of this cycle. And a guy that you thought, if there is going to be a domestic-based player that's going to figure prominently in Brazil's attack in Qatar, it would be him. And instead, another striker on his own team has completely stolen his thunder. Pedro is this big, strong target forward, but who does have great technical ability. He's, almost, he's got a little bit of Zlatan to him. And so Chichi feels like Brazil... But he's not lumbering. He's not like no, a no. Fred. Uh, no, uh, Chichi, I think, really feels like Brazil could use this type of striker. He's different than the Jesus or Firmino, and so he gives you sort of a different look. Uh, so I think he'll be on that squad. So that would be the biggest storyline from a Flamengo point of view. For Atletico, but I see three things. Uh, they have a 17-year-old striker, Vito Hockey, who I think is one of the great teenagers in world football. He's a guy to keep an eye on that in a couple of years is going to be playing for a big European club. Great prospect. They also have Fernandinho in the midfield, who, mind you, came up with Atletico Paranaense, led them to their only previous Libertadores final appearance in 2005 when they lost to Sao Paulo. Those were his final games for the club. He then left for Europe, had a 17-year uh, career in Europe between Shakhtar and Manchester City, comes back this summer to Atletico Paranaense, and lo and behold, leads him to another Libertadores final 17 years later. And finally, Atletico Paranaense are managed by Scolari, who whose career trajectory has always reminded me of Bruce Arena's. I, I, I view him as sort of the Brazilian Bruce Arena in that he's had great success. He's won the Libertadores with two different clubs before Grêmio and Palmeiras, won the World Cup with Brazil in 2002, but then had an ill-fated second spell with the national team that ended in tragedy, in Arena's case not qualifying for the World Cup, in Scolari's case losing 7-1 to Germany. And that really sort of tainted his reputation and became an object of ridicule. And now he's had this redemption, this run to this Libertadores finals, a little bit akin to Arena winning the support Shield with New England yep. last year, which made everybody take a step back and say, wait a minute, we've been mocking this guy, but actually he's a pretty darn good coach. Look at the career overall. So Scolari's kind of having that moment right now of, yeah, he lost 7-1, but wait a minute, let's take a step back here. <laughs> World Cup winner and has a chance to win a third Libertadores title with three different clubs. I well, mean, you know, time has a, a way of doing that, uh, make, making us look at people in a different way. And, uh, you know, softening some of the edges out there. Um, all right, that's Copa Lib. Uh, should we finish up with uh, Open Cup? Yep. Congratulations. Congratulations to Orlando City on uh, winning the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. They will be uh, one of the representatives in uh, the CONCACAF Champions League. That, as we know, is one of the prizes of uh, winning the Open Cup. 3 nothing win in Orlando against Sacramento. Uh, and congratulations are absolutely in order for Sacramento for getting to the final. And the way that they did, beating three MLS teams along the way. Um, and they put up a really good fight for about 70 minutes. And then Oscar Perea made, uh, made some changes. And Benji Michel comes in. And ultimately, Fagundo Torres 
uh, gets a couple of uh, goals, and then Benji Michel gets his own goal there, and it looked comfortable on the score sheet. Uh, however, it was much closer than that, uh, you know, than that uh, than that was, and um, and it was fun, and they celebrated it in a way that I think is fitting for this club to uh, to win this. Now, does everything else is is gravy? No. I mean, I think they're going to make the playoffs and then they're going to maybe use this confidence uh, through to the uh, through to the playoffs. But you know, it doesn't matter what league in the world that we talk about that moment, that money shot of raising up silverware and having the confetti and having the music play. Every player, every coach, every organization wants to have that, wants to have it on a continual basis, whether it's a big cup, whether it's a small cup, you want to uh, you want to win these things. And for Orlando in the MLS version, uh, this is big because you know this is this is what they haven't done and this is what they i think have needed to do for themselves not necessarily from the outside but uh for themselves so congratulations to uh orlando anything about that that puts them in ccl yep. uh, next year yes. uh vancouver also in there as well by virtue of winning the canadian championship so we know two of the mls yep. representatives already and then we'll have mls cup winner and then um supporter shield uh winner uh uh with that and if it's both and goes to the second anyway we'll figure all that out but it'll be fun to, to see orlando and what they do and if it changes their their off-season approach to what they are uh, what they are going to do recognizing that they're going to be in an international tournament everybody's going to be in an international tournament but they're also going to be in multiple international tournaments all right anything else that's it all right let's take a quick break and when we come back uh we will take a uh well yeah we'll, we'll fl- flip it forward shall we mossy because there's all sorts of stuff that's coming up uh this weekend don't go away Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Okay, we're back. Uh, let's flip it forward, Mossy, and uh, how about a little preview of the weekend? Uh, as we've mentioned time and time again, we are getting down to the nitty-gritty when it comes to the vying for MLS playoff spots. So where do you want to start? Uh, Montreal hosting Columbus. That's two versus six in the East. Montreal eight points behind Philadelphia, but with a game in hand. I don't know if you still view it in that lens of them trying to chase down Philadelphia for the one seed or are they just trying to hold on to number two? Yeah, I think they're, I think they're trying to hold on to to number two, but I mean, even that in and of itself is a great feat. And, you know, Wilfred Nancy, I think has done a a wonderful job there and we'll see if it can, they can parlay it into a, a playoff run. And Columbus fighting to reach the playoffs. Like I said, they're sixth. They're they're two points above eighth place New England. So uh, that Eastern Conference playoff race is very tight. Uh, we you know we were talking about the uh, the Open Cup. There was actually an MLS came uh, midweek uh, that was NYCFC and Cincinnati at zero zero. And NYCFC is just backing into the playoffs. I mean, it is just it's not good. Did you see the the, the goal by the way in this game? I, I did. I did. <laughs> it was. Um, Tiago Martins had a back pass that if you if you haven't seen it, go watch it because um, how do I explain this? It was about from 50 yards away. And, you know, in the modern game where everybody plays out of the back. Well, one of the things that goalkeepers are taught is to like any 
defender or anybody in a back line is to create angles and give depth for that option to play around. In which case, the NYCFC goalkeeper, Sean Johnson, was doing this way outside and off to the side of his goal. And so Tiago Martins, in his infinite wisdom, decided to, I guess, play it around the back and turned and fired this shot from about 50 yards in to a completely empty goal. And it is one of the most amazing own goals you will see uh, you will see in soccer. But it, it goes to the point of in this jockeying right now, New York City's at 46 points right now. Orlando, who we just talked about coming off of that Open Cup championship, uh, at 42 points. Uh, NYCFC, they got to be really careful because they're getting into the territory where they're not even going to host a game. Um, and that that's a problem for a team that already is uh, is struggling. Nashville, LA, what do you think? Uh, the Hani Mukhtar show. Man, I mean, he's, he's it just rolls much, on, right? Yeah. Are you a Hani or are you a, a Drusi uh, right now? Uh, right now, I'm Hani. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, LA, and we talked about <laughs> the the point that they got that should have been three points, if not for Chicharito's uh, missed Panenka. They're they're desperate um, when it comes to to LA. They are still outside, as we know, of the playoff line. They are four points back, but two games back of Portland. So they have games in hand, but they got to make up points. And now they're coming in, playing away against a red-hot Nashville and, like you said, a potential MVP in, uh, in Hani Mukhtar. The good po- thing is that I think everybody agrees that if you shut down uh, Mukhtar, you can shut down Nashville. And it'll be interesting to see what Greg Vanny does to try to shut down a guy that has been targeted all year and yet has still found a way to uh, break through. Uh, Nashville, one point behind Dallas for a third. And let's go Dallas next. Uh, they host LAFC. That's a fascinating game. Huh? Yeah, I mean, LAFC now on the road. Uh, I think that the, not the, I think the problems and the flaws of this LAFC team certainly have been exposed over the last couple of weeks. And Steve Terundel, the head coach, is trying to figure out what he ultimately wants to do what his best 11 is and god forbid is his best 11 something without bale something without killini hell something without vela i don't i don't know i don't necessarily think so but these are again champagne champagne problems and now now you're on the road to an fc dallas that again i take my hat off to fc dallas because fc dallas you have now made yourself relevant again and you have made us talk about you and care about you for something other than player development. And so that's a good thing. And I got to feel that FC Dallas is licking their chops, waiting for LAFC to come into town. And if LAFC were to come in as the number one seed uh, into FC Dallas and find a way to get three points, then I think everybody would relax. If not, then the sirens continue to wail. Uh, Red Bulls against uh, New England, uh, Cincinnati, by virtue of that point they got last night that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, they now have the final um, playoff spot in the East. New England is one point back of them. So, again, every game in the East, it seems like yes. it has massive playoff implications. Yeah, because, you know, Miami's also, while they're three points back from Cincinnati, they have a game in hand. So, again, you, you, I mean... Game and hands are all fine and well until you you actually have to play them and get those points that everybody's talking about. But still, it uh, it, it creates some uh, some interesting things, you know. And Red Bull just continues on. New England, I can't figure New England out. 
Okay, they're, they're good, they're bad. I guess they're probably somewhere in between, which is why they find themselves teetering back and forth pretty much every, time, every single time there is a game day in MLS. New England goes up, New England goes uh, down, as does Cincinnati. Uh, and finally, uh, Philadelphia, Orlando. Uh, Philadelphia, hoping to continue their good form, facing an Orlando team that might this be a bit of a hangover? You think they'll be ready to play a game of this magnitude a few days after finally winning their first trophy? I mean, I think that, you know, they have... I think they have players and a coach that will recognize that if they, you know, if they just, you know, if they don't use this correctly, then it's almost a squandered type of moment. So, yeah, they will have partied and had a good time, but they got to be careful because if in this year that they win the U.S. Open Cup, then they don't make the playoffs. That's that's not a good look. Go ask uh, Brian Schmetzer and the Seattle and the Seattle Sounders. Who knows? Maybe uh, ask them. But yeah, and it doesn't, well, it gets, it's not about not getting any easier. It gets really hard because there's nobody that is flying higher than a, uh, a Philadelphia. But if in, one, if in one week you win the U.S. Open Cup and then you go to Philadelphia and take down what is arguably the best team in the league, oof, talk about feathers and caps. We have a uh, Super Classico in Ooh. Argentina this weekend, Sunday. Boca will host River at La Bombonera. Uh, this is in the Primera División. River are fifth, Book are sixth. They're both four points out of first place. Um, main reason I'm bringing this up is you might recall last week we had a Milan derby, Milan versus Inter, and an old firm, Celtic Rangers. And given that those two games occurred and I knew this one was coming up, I sort of mused about you potentially putting together some sort of list of top five derbies or rivalries or whatever we're going to call it. Uh, and sure enough, Sean Sullivan did hit you up for that this week. So you'll be unveiling that uh, at the end of this uh yeah, we'll uh, do that for the uh, one for the road. How about we do yeah. that? We'll save it for one for the Sounds road. Sounds good. All right. All right so. uh, anything else, my friend? That's it. All right. Uh, as you mentioned, we got all sorts of stuff coming up here. Uh, but next uh, segment, we will do Ask Alexi because we have some uh, interesting questions and I guess more importantly, some interesting feedback from our listeners out there. Don't go away. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, we're back, and it's time for uh, that part of the show we call Ask Alexi. We use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, out there on all the social media platforms. You send us in your questions and your comments. Uh, and keep in mind, all those uh, handles out there are S-O-T-U with Alexi, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or anything else out there. And Mossy, we've used this segment now for a bunch of years to have incoming questions. And everybody has done a wonderful, wonderful job of sending in questions, whether, like I said, it's on the social media using that hashtag or whether it's using our, uh, uh, our podcast hotline at 657-549-2297. But what we, what we did also is on our Instagram account, we actually asked people, because we're always given our opinions on who, who should start for the national team. And we asked people, we said, who do you want to start for the national team? In essence, we wanted, we wanted the people's team, okay? You, you watched the Diana documentary, right? So this is the people's team. This is what the American people want to start 
for their U.S. men's national team. So we asked you out there on Instagram, and we have, you know, taken all of the data, and we have, you know, plugged in all of the numbers, and we have some wonderful graphics here telling us exactly what's happening. Now, keep in mind, I, I put out my 11, and I think that this kind of shows that people agree with me for once in some of the things that, uh, that, the, that, that the people want. Okay, um, let's start in goal. Uh, the people out there are, I mean, it's not even a question. They do not want Zach Steffen starting, who I still think is the starting goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team. Although, once again, by the way, he is hurt. And we know that he has had a history of injuries. And, you know, he made the move, the lone move to actually play. That's all fine and well, but you got to be healthy. And so now it's not even, he's not even playing. For the people's team, it is Matt Turner. Matt Turner is the people's goalkeeper when it comes to uh the U.S. men's national team. All right, let's go over to uh, left back. I mean, it's a runaway. Jedi. It's not even a question. You know, we have George Bellow and some other people there, but the people want Jedi. And what's not to love? Uh, he's not perfect, but he's the best thing that we have. And he's a damn good player. And I hope he gets back uh, to health very, very soon. Uh, we go to the center back uh, position. One of the center back positions, we have Walker Zimmerman, 91%. I don't think there's a whole lot of controversy. Uh, and let me know if, if there's anything here that you want to debate or discuss. Uh, other one. Now, this is uh, where it gets interesting here. I, I had Aaron Long, but I think the, the people's choice is going to be Chris Richards. Obviously, that European pedigree, even though he does not play a lot, uh, people have seen enough even though it's a very, very small sample size of Chris Richards to believe that he should start far and away over Aaron Long and even farther away over uh, CCV. Uh, let's go to, uh, well, I, I don't think it's even going to be a question. Serginho Dest, although I was interested. I thought it was going to be into the 90s when it comes to Serginho Dest. I mean, I don't think anybody else is even coming close to starting it right back than Serginho Dest, but DeAndre Edlin is going to be waiting in the wings there with uh, some experience. I mean, the, one of the few players that will be going to the World Cup that actually also has been to a previous World Cup. Uh, holding midfield, again, no question. Tyler Adams, it is his spot, and there's nobody even close. Yes, there's a Kellen Acosta who would be there in an emergency type, uh, emergency type of situation. Not a problem. People want Tyler Adams. People are, in this instance, absolutely spot on. Uh, let's see, some other ones here. Right midfield, and well, by the way, we're playing a 4-3-3 here. Yunus Musa. This is interesting here because... It's it's splitting the vote because we're looking at Gio Reyna and a lot of people are saying, okay, but is he going to be healthy? I guess this is in an ideal situation where everybody is is healthy, and we saw Gio Reyna uh, now playing over this past week. But it's still, I think Yunus Musa has done so much and come so far and has been so impactful. And by the way, has been healthy. I think people will fall on the Yunus Musa and just have Gio Reyna as a good substitute. Yunus uh, Musa should be 100%. Only a fool at this point wouldn't have him in their <laughs> U.S. starting All right. Well, almost 100%, 100% is your friend uh, Weston McKinney, who uh, is trying to get back in shape and uh, scored a goal for Juventus in Champions League uh, during the week here, as we mentioned. Not even a question when it comes to that. Um, now, the right wing, this is where it does get interesting. Tim Weah has been, I, I guess, is the incumbent and has been over there. But Brendan Aronson, we know, has come on gangbusters. And people are trying, like I did when I did this 11, people are trying to get him into the starting 11. 
And so they are going to put him over there on that right-hand side. I got no problem with Brendan Aronson being on that right-hand side. But when you do that, keep in mind, you're either taking Tim Weah out or you have to do something else with him. All right, let's move on to uh, some other stuff. Left wing, uh, this is as close to 100% that we have gotten with anybody, so it's not even going to be a question. And I don't know who the hell is that person that voted for Malik Tillman. Not that he's not a, a quality player, but over Christian Pulisic, you're crazy. Uh, and then so finally, we have to go up top where we know it's been Jesus Ferreira, and I believe it's going to be Jesus Ferreira, even though I wanted to go with what the people want. So the people saw what I wanted. They said, you know what? For, the, for maybe the first time, I agree with Alexi. For maybe the first time, he's actually done something smart in trying to get all of the good players on the field that you possibly can and put Tim Weah into more of a false nine type of position, which is what that 34% want to do as opposed to the 31 that want Jesus Ferreira. Now, this is, as you can expect, you know, the biggest uh, talking point, I guess you will, and the spread when it comes to all of the different players that potentially could be up there, obviously PFOC uh, as part of that. And so there is real no, there's no real consensus when it comes to who should be starting in that position. But it was interesting to see how people uh, took my lead, if you will, and want uh, Weya to be on the field, but just in more of a, a false nine position. As I explained, I just have Pulisic and Aronson and Weya go wherever, wherever they want. Now, keep in mind, there's only one opinion that matters, and that is Greg Berhalter. And I don't think there's a chance in hell that he is playing Weah as a false nine. As a matter of fact, I think he's playing uh, Jesus Ferreira. So then you have to decide, is it Brendan Aronson or is it uh, Weah out there on that right-hand side? Man, oh man, that's, that, that's going to be hard. That's how, I made it, that's how I made it work. But I appreciate that that is the people's team. And, you know, Greg, Greg Berhalter, he's going to do what he's going to do. And maybe he'll just say, let them eat cake. And I'm going to, they don't know what they're talking about. I see these players day in and day out, and I, I know what's, what's going on. Not that he should listen to me or or anybody out there. But it's important, I think, for the people in life to have their voice heard. Only one comment from me. If Josh Sargent keeps going the way he does, I think if we have this vote again a month from now, you'll mm -hmm. start to see him. Uh, there's going to be growing sentiment for him in that center forward mix. So who's, who are you taking out then? So now you can't start Aronson and Weah or, and Giorina. So now you can only start one of those three. Yeah. Champagne problems. Champagne problems. Um, next question. Uh, Cesar P. asks, will beating England be a more important win than the Dos Acero? All right. So he is referencing the uh, Dos Acero, uh, which is 2 nothing win back in the 2002 World Cup against our friends Mexico that uh, sent us into the quarterfinals of a World Cup. And um, in doing so, has become a rallying cry and the most important win in men's World Cup history. So no, there's not a chance in hell that beating England is going to be more important than Dos Acero. This win versus Mexico, the Dos Acero game, that sent us into rarefied air. And that didn't happen in the group stage. We've had big wins during the group stage. Would it be a big win to beat England? Yeah, it would be great, but it would only be something propelling us on to a place that we have already been before. Actually, a place we've been many times, which is just the round of 16, to get out of, to get out of the group. I don't want to poo-poo it, and it would be you know, a moment of incredible celebration. You would probably see my tears again 
in terms of how important that win would be and how monumental and how exciting and how much we would rejoice. But in no way, shape or form is it on the level of beating, uh, of beating Mexico. And by the way, if, if the U.S. beats England in the group stage and then goes on, and as we've said, there's a potential that they could be facing Netherlands or Senegal or Qatar or uh, Ecuador. Beating any of those, okay, would also be more important than beating, uh, than beating England in the group stage. England, it's the group stage. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's, not, it's never going to be as important as a round of 16 win. Would beating England in this World Cup top Colombia 94? Oof, that's a good question, Mossy. God, you're good. <laughs> um, I, well, I don't think that as many people look at England in the way that they looked at Colombia. You know, keep in mind, as you know, Colombia breezed through South American uh, qualifying, was tipped to be by many, including Pele himself, your countryman, as the favorites for the World Cup. So the, the odds and the separation between the two were much greater than I believe what the U.S. and England is. And the way that this game is going to be framed, yes, it's going to be underdogs. Yes, it's going to be, to a certain extent, David and Goliath, but not the extent of 1994. Although, frankly, when we were in Kansas City, we were uh, hanging out with uh, our boss, Zach Kenworthy, who's yep. an England supporter, and asking him his projected England lineup for the World Cup. And you seemed underwhelmed. You're not that fearful of this England team. Oh, I'm not fearful at all. I mean, we could get our ass handed to by England. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. This is a good team. And I, I worry that we are at times being unrealistic and sometimes our red, white, and blue colored glasses can make us think and do things <laughs> that could be detrimental. Um, the only good part is, is that this team is so young. They, you know, they, they obviously have no experience, and, but I think that they really own this and want to have that a moment for themselves. They've watched, a lot of them have grown up watching these great moments. And they will have, they will want to have that moment. And obviously, beating England in a World Cup, that will be that. I'll never forget the moment the final whistle blew in that Columbia game, even though it's just a group game. It, it, the whistle blew and we had beaten somebody, and we knew in that moment we had done something special. And they would know that, uh, know that too. That Anything else? Nope. All right. Uh, keep them coming when it comes to your questions. Uh, as you teased earlier, I am going to uh, delve into the world of rivalries around the world and maybe give you a, a little ranking when it comes to my one for the road. So we'll take another quick break. And when we come back, I will give you my one for the road. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back and uh, we've come to the end of our show. And as we teased throughout the show, um, I'm going to give you my five best rivalries. And look, I'm calling them rivalries, Monsi, okay? The whole 
derby, derby thing. If you're going to do the, the D word, okay, then at least have the wherewithal to call it a derby and not a freaking derby, okay? But I'm just going to call it a rivalry uh, when it comes to great rivalries of club teams in the world. And I know we wanted, we made sure last night we were going back and forth because if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, we did, uh, and I you know, had some rant about the U.S.-Mexico being the greatest international rivalry in the world. And, and as is the case, I, I got pushed back from plenty of people. These are club rivalries out there. The other thing is, if you are going to use the D word, all right, derbies, there's a lot of people that stand on principle and say, well, it has to be teams within the same city. And certainly we have those out there. But I'm looking at it as a historic matchup that has been baked in time and competition on and off the field within a country and obviously within a league. All right. I'm going to start right off and piss people off, okay? <laughs> so I am going to go Seattle and Portland for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's my list. If you don't like it, you can make your own list. And I'm going to include something that's a little bit off the radar for the rest of the world. Not certainly off our, our radar. The specific area of the country, as we know, you know, the, um, the insufferables versus the weirdos up there in, uh, in Cascadia. At times, they drive me crazy, but I can respect and appreciate that not only is this a rivalry for M MLS, but it's a rivalry for soccer, and it is steeped in tradition and history that goes well beyond MLS. So that's what I have uh, when it comes to number five. When it comes to number four, I mean, this is a classic rivalry. Now, of late with Juventus and Napoli and others kind of taking over the mantle and with all of the trials and tribulations that have happened on and off the field with Italian soccer over the last decades, has it lost some of its luster? Maybe. I think it's started to come back. But no matter what, this is a classic type of, uh, uh, of matchup in the city of Milan. This is one of those unique where it is happening in the city. And we know the great teams of, uh, of Milan and the Berlusconi era and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, obviously enter as the redheaded stepchild at times and then, you know, finding their way. And there is, I think, nothing like it. I think it, I think it translates and it's relevant not just to the city of Milan, not just to Syria, not just to Italy, but I think it translates around the world. All right. Number three, Celtic Rangers. Is it great soccer? No. Okay. But a great rivalry does not necessarily have to be the greatest quality on the field. It has to be steeped in tradition, which this is certainly uh, the case. But it also, it has to, I think, transcend the actual game. And we all know the, the social and the cultural and the political and the religious aspects of something like this. And the passion and the emotion that it evokes is real, you can feel it, and it is so good and so enticing that you will forget that the soccer sometimes is not very good. All right, but it's, but it's worth your time. Uh, another classic matchup, there are two teams. I don't care what anybody says, there are two teams in La Liga. There have been for a long time, and I probably would venture to say that there are continue to be two teams. But in those two teams, while they are far and away the best teams in Spain, they are also 
far and away, two of the best teams in the world on a consistent basis. And yes, you have your ups and downs. And so when they are playing, they are not just relevant from a dominance in Spain, but they are relevant around the world, especially in this day of the super club, in this day of marketing on a global perspective. And so I don't think anybody is just going to disagree that it is one of the great games. And to my point, when it comes to television broadcasting, there are entire broadcast deals <laughs> that are formulated uh, around this actual game. And that is where the value is and that is where the asset is. Is that a good thing for La Liga? Not necessarily, but it just shows you how important these two teams are. And when they get together on the field, anything can happen. And then we go to the final. Now, this is about spectacle, okay? <clears throat> because some of these, some of these rivalries and even beyond these rivalries, have become a little sterile in the modern age, in the modern age of the stadiums, in the modern age of fandom, all that. They have become a little sterile. This one, I think Boca River still maintains its grit, its um, yeah, ruthlessness to a certain extent, both on and off the field. Is it animosity? I, I don't like to use the word hate. Okay, because it's still just a freaking sport. Right? What are we doing here? But there, again, there is a history of animosity. And I guess it would be to some, I hope it's not, but I, you know, I'm not naive, that there is a hatred between these two storied clubs. And the circumstance, the pomp, the, uh, the surroundings, the pageantry, all of that. Because you will talk to soccer people out there and you'll say, if I could go to one game, which would it be? And a lot of people will point to Boca River. Even if they're great fans of the EPL or great fans of leagues around the world, they will still target in to that game for the feel that you get, the sensory type of moment that it is. So I'm going to put them at number one. All right. Agree, disagree as we go through here. I'm sure you have some others. During our last pod, when I suggested doing this, I, I said that you would troll everybody by sticking an MLS one in there. Uh, but I would like you to at least be consistent in your trolling. A few weeks ago, during one of our MLS shows, we debated best MLS rivalries, yeah. and you were bullish that El Trafico was better than Seattle-Portland. So how could Seattle-Portland not even be the best rivalry in MLS, but be one of the top five in the world? Because in that moment, absolutely El Trafico is. But this is in, this is in totality. Okay. Um, moving on from <laughs> Seattle-Portland at number five. Uh, I think the rest of the list is actually quite good. I would flip the first top two. I would put Barca-Real Madrid one, Boca-River two. The thing that always tilts it in favor of Barcelona-Real Madrid to me is I think all of them have incredible passion and social and political overtones. But when you strip all that away and just get down to the football, the quality of it, the stars... Uh, I mean, I've, I've said before, if you made a list of the 100 greatest players of all time, probably like 50 of them have featured in that rivalry. So uh, it's just incredible, the star power over the years, including my favorite player, the Brazilian Ronaldo, who, by the way, has scored for both teams in two different rivalries here, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and AC Milan uh, wow. Inter. So that, that's quite the feather in his cap. Do, but do you, do you agree and do you get what I'm saying when... Look, I'm not denying that the, the talent on hand on a Barcelona-Real Madrid game is out of this world. And as a matter of fact, many of the players that are playing on Boca and River are attempting to get to Barcelona right. and Real Madrid. But 
do you not feel that, you know, when I said that it's a, a little sterile and it's a different type of atmosphere? Do you, do you uh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, seeing a Boca River game at La Bombonera is a bucket list thing for me that may be the number one okay. on my right, bucket list. So that, that's, I, I, that's, where I was, that's where I was coming from. Uh, yeah, that's definitely where I was going. Uh, so, so Sean Sullivan got what he wanted out of this, mm -hmm. a clickbaity Twitter yes. graphic to throw up, and you'll have some fun uh, rebutting Euro snobs that'll come after you about Seattle-Portland. You'll come up with your cutesy little retorts, and we'll have some fun with that <laughs> for a few days. I look forward to it. You got it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, I like El Trafico, and like I said, you know, that's that that for me is is very, very important and good. And at the moment, that's what it is. But I'm I'm allowed to bob and weave. Am I not? Fair enough. All right. Whatever. <laughs> I just uh, and I'm not catering to, uh, you know, my friends up there in, uh, in Cascadia or anything like that. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Listen, um, first off, thank you. Thank you to everybody for just your interaction. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, you know, all the different ways you have of getting a hold of us, whether it's the uh, the hotline there, 657-549-2297, uh, or the Ask Alexi on all the social media platforms. And this, you know, this week and this uh, and this pod that you know, we wanted to use some of that feedback that we get. And we apologize. We, we can't use it all. It just comes in and we pick a, a couple here or there. Um, but know that it is all heard. And it is all digested internally, even if it doesn't make it on the uh, pod. But we did want to find a way to get that feedback into a, you know, a segment. And that's why we used your starting 11. And I'm sure there is continued disagreement as we, uh, as we go on. But it means that you are responding. It means that you are interacting. And that makes us feel very, very good that uh, we have that, that relationship, if you will. Uh, so continue to do that on all the different, uh, the different platforms. A lot of soccer to watch. Over the uh, next few days, we will be back again next week with a couple of shows. I, I will, uh, you will find in your feed, we were recording this on Thursday. Uh, there will be a, uh, you'll be obviously listening to this Friday or through the weekend, whenever you are. You will also find a, uh, a interview that will drop in your feed with uh, Chad Johnson. You know this guy, uh, Mossy? Absolutely. Our new, our new colleague when it comes to the World Cup coverage, just recently announced. You may know him as Ocho Cinco. We're, we're calling him Chad, okay? Uh, Chad Johnson here, uh, former NFL player, and just a really interesting dude, and we're really looking forward to working with him. But we're going to sit down with him because he's doing the rounds here uh, for some, uh, uh, some different Fox platforms out there, including our show. And so check out that interview because you're going to be seeing a lot of him come November and December with our coverage over there at the World Cup. All right. Uh, until next week, have a wonderful week and weekend of uh, soccer, watching uh, all the different leagues and all the different games out there. And until next week, and as always, size the day.